0: Hello and welcome to Faith Informed, an Engage International podcast where we seek to clarify truth claims, challenge prevailing ideologies, and commend the faith. Today we will pick up from where we left off with our guest, Mary Jo Sharp, an assistant professor of apologetics at Houston Christian University and author of the book, Why I Still Believe. In the last episode, we talked with Mary Jo about her story of how she came to believe in God and some of her experiences as a new Christian that led her to doubt her newfound faith. Let us jump right back into our discussion now. We read in the Gospels that Jesus never shied away from difficult questions. He invites our sincere, honest questions. Mary Jo, you make a very helpful distinction. You hash it out more in your book, Why I Still Believe. Um, I forgot to mention it earlier. I think uh, I might have mentioned it in the intro. Uh, It's a very well-written, compelling read. Um, You make this distinction in your book, between emotional and intellectual doubt. Would you please explain those terms for our audience who may not be too familiar with them?
1: Yeah, um, so I'll give them what I have off the top of my head, <laughs> which is not my book, unfortunately, but I will, I will do my best. Uh, so the intellectual doubt relates to those propositional truths. Do you actually have these rationalistic kind of questions that you've never attended to in your life? So those are the, you know, how do I know God's real? Um, What about the problem of evil in the world? Uh, If God's good, wise, or evil, the, you know, how do I know that Jesus rose from the dead? Like sort of the, the, those propositional truth statements that maybe you've never uh, studied or engaged with. The emotional doubt can come from our experience of Christianity or experience of other people our experience in the world that is really, um, informing our sort of emotional position or our attitude towards God and towards uh, others. So there is sort of this emotional, existential, or you might say experiential uh, element that can be really influencing our desires and motives and, and um, you know how we proceed, um, what do, how do we feel about Christianity? Because a lot of times when I encounter people there who are opposed to god altogether there is anger fueling the investigation um so that's that's something that we need to consider is what what emotionally is fueling the investigation and um there's another one i'll get to but i don't separate these out so much i do separate them into categories to consider but the emotional and the intellectual are happening together alongside each other so that's why i say investigate what may be informing this And then there's the volitional, where it's a problem of the will, um, not desiring to um, be in that sort of situation, not desiring God, that there's a a motive or desire issue. Um, And I I think it was Thomas Nagel that said that, that he, you know, he didn't, it it worries him that so many intellectual people believe in God because he does not, he doesn't desire God. He doesn't want God, Um, not the Christian version anyway. So Uh, That's a paraphrase, but um, we have to consider that, that there are different uh, motivations as well as the emotions that go with them and as well as those questions, um, those intellectual questions. So those are the three different kinds that I explore. And Gary Habermas is the one who really fleshes that out in his fully online book, Dealing with Doubt. I think it's Dealing with Doubt. He also has the Thomas Factor. Both of them would cover doubt.
0: What would you say to someone who, having encountered hypocrisy in the church and have been hurt by the church, someone who says, I don't need the church. I will read my Bible and pray. I will pursue Jesus on my own. Um, As Christians, we believe that the church, in spite of its fallenness and brokenness, is essential, right? Um, So how do we reconcile the two? Why do I need the church?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's like sort of two, two ways that I'm going to respond to if I'm speaking personally to someone. And one is that experiential and the other one's the theoretical or theological. And the experiential is that's, that's pain when somebody doesn't want to be in the community, doesn't want relationships with other Christians. That's some serious pain, Sam. (laughs) So we have to consider that you can't just breeze by that, um, because, Many times, I know in apologetics, we like to talk about feelings as being subjective, and so they don't get you to objective truths about the nature of reality. But there is a subjective truth to the individual who has experienced pain and suffering. And that is not to be blown past so that we can just get to the you know, the theoretical truths. There's a person there made in the image of God who is suffering. So I do want to make sure and say that that is something that I acknowledge when I'm talking to somebody Um, that I understand that anger that the church hurt them, abused them, caused a lot of pain and suffering, and that it may not be something that they go back to immediately because they may not be in a place where they would get back into a good situation. They might go right back into a situation that's bad for them. (laughs) So now that I've handled that part, I still think Um, on the, you know, 30,000 foot level, you still need community. And I'm going to give you the reasoning why, which is because we're made in the image of God and God is community. So there is community at the base of reality. Our creator designed us to reflect him in many ways. And one of those ways is to share loving relationships with others, uh, like the Trinity shares love, uh, in itself. So when you have that as the basis for like who your designer is and who created you, it's, it is very important to reflect on what that means for your life. Um, so for me, the church is where we find like-minded people, those who are supposed to be striving for transforming towards Christ-likeness. And this is not just a goal that just anybody's going to have out there. Um, it's a purposed and intentioned goal of following Christ. So um, that is a community we need for encouragement in our journey with Christ. But I would say um, this needs to be a community that loves you for who you are and that you can trust with a mature trust that um, they are worthy of that sort of trust with the struggle that you're going through and that they love you right where you're at.
0: I really like how you put that. There is community at the base of reality. And as those created in the image of God, we are created for community. We need each other. And what I really like um, so much about the book is that even as you share about some of these hurtful experiences you've had in the church, you're willing to admit and acknowledge your own failings, your own flaws. Often we are so oblivious to our own flaws, we see the log in another's eye and not the, um, ah, sorry, (laughs) what am I saying? Um, We do not see the log in our own eye, but we see the speck in theirs. So um, is there an element of pride? Is there sometimes a lack of honesty um, as well? And I don't want to belittle anyone's pain Because Spain is real, especially in light of the abuse that comes from leadership within the church. Um, It's so tragic to read of abuse within the church. It is unacceptable. Such leaders ought to be called out. No question about that. So again... I don't want to belittle anyone's pain, and my question is not with respect to such cases at all, but I wonder if um, sometimes we see the fallenness, the flaws of others and not our own. Um, is that an issue you see with Christians these days?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I experience so much pride and self-righteousness um, in the church that it's, it's obvious it's a human problem that we are very proud. And, you know, we are a lot of times, our first reaction is to be defensive so that we don't get hurt. Um, And we so we're judgmental. And that's when I say we're, I am absolutely including myself, (laughs) judge first, and then think about it later, right. Um, And that's not the teachings of Jesus, by the way. So yeah, I think there is. That's why that I let me put it this way. That is why I think doubt is so difficult. Because to think about what is spurring this, like what what is spurring this on in your life, that takes a lot of introspection. Like for me, I had to admit that I am judgmental because I'm a naive idealist and I wanted the church to just be this great group of people that had you know, almost achieved a heaven-like status. <laughs> I mean, if you think about what I'm saying that they'd be following this pattern and it would be the way they behaved, it's unrealistic because of the problem of evil. And because, um, yeah, people are going to continue doing the wrong thing. People are capable of great good and great evil at the same time. Like that's us. That's who we are. And, you know, this is why we need a savior. Um, so it's, yeah, I think you're right. It's really hard, especially when you've been hurt or if you experience real abuse, to try to figure out all the things that are factoring in um, experientially as well as rationally, like these propositions, do you believe them or not? And boy, that's, it's a lot. So that's what I'm glad you said you're not trying to make, you know, be trite about it. It's a lot to disentangle. And I think when you when people use the word deconstruction, some of that is that disentanglement, Um, and it doesn't always lead to deconversion. Sometimes, like for me, it led to a better understanding of where I went wrong, where the church went wrong, things that weren't really biblical but were tradition, and you know, like helped me pull apart all this stuff to look at. Well, what do I really believe about God?
0: I want to talk now about those who have been hurt by the church and are struggling with trust issues, um, or even a new Christian who is looking for a church, what advice would you give them? Is there a certain list of criteria that you share with them and ask them to look for when considering a church? What are some red flags to look for?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have my list. Um, I don't have like, I'm not the authority on this, but I have a list that I can share. Um, I do. So red flags, let's start with red flags. I look for churches. Uh, I, sorry, I don't look for churches with these. I look for these red flags. (laughs) That would have been bad. Um, I look for churches that are, do they have a poor accountability structure for their leaders? Okay. So that's a red flag. Um, if the leader has all the power, if the leader is, they don't have any accountability. They, if they're just the final say on everything, um, that's going to be a problem. Um, I also look to see if churches are just going through the motions without significant advancements in their Christian education or, Perhaps they denigrate the work of those who study God. Uh, they have a dismissive attitude towards theologians or philosophers, Christian philosophers. Um, that's problematic because those are the people that have dedicated their lifetime and resources to communicating the truths of God at very deep levels. And So if the church is actively denigrating that work, that's something that is a red flag for me. Um then churches that are so program driven that they're wearing out their congregates and their leaders because they don't take rest seriously uh, or seasons of life seriously. Uh, and then finally, I'm going to look to see if churches don't seem interested in their immediate community, but only in the people who look, think, act, dress like them. Uh, that's that's not good if they don't reflect their immediate community. So. Conversely, criteria for the church just flip those things on their head. <laughs> so, do you want me to tell you what sort of like wrap up what I look for? Yeah, okay. So, one of my big one of my big asks of a church is that they have a lead pastor that has epistemic humility, um, meaning that the person can take constructive criticism because they're full aware that they don't know it all. Um, without feeling attacked or defensive. I'm looking for that. That's a huge one for me. Um, and then on that, like I tag to that, they don't have to be the best speaker in the world. They just have to have that sort of humility that they're still learning. I also appreciate when they're respected in their community. They don't have to be in agreement with the culture of their community, just respected. People know them as an upright person that cares for the community. Um, And then I look for a church that's intentional about growing spiritually. So they, through practicing Christianity. So they actually have studies set up that help them understand the spiritual disciplines like prayer, study, fellowship, service. Um, And then I look for that church that's not set up their structure for failure so that they are, they have active accountability for human flourishing, like a realistic accountability, not one that's bent on, you know, nitpicking every little thing, but one that's actually set in place because they understand human beings and they want their pastors to flourish and they want their congregation to flourish. So it's a big ask, isn't it? (laughs) That's what I'm looking for.
0: You are spot on, Mary Jo. I think uh, accountability is very, very important. And even as churches demand accountability from members, there needs to be Um, accountability in the leadership as well, a plurality of elders. Unfortunately, in our day, a lot of churches are individual-centric, where everything revolves around a single leader. Um, I think it's uh, very important that a church be Christocentric. The church belongs to Christ. It is the bride of Christ. Um, So as we wrap up today... Let me close with one final question. As you look at our world today, the pain and suffering in the state of the church with many cases of abuse within the church coming to light over the last few years, is there hope um, or rather what gives you hope?
1: Yes, this is so important because hope is a big deal for me. I want hope to be real and not just some kind of human optimism that, you know, is relativistic to my own lifetime. (laughs) I want it to be something that's real and has some grounding or truth to it. And as I began to study my questions, specifically this problem of evil question, I began to better understand why I'm encountering these acts of evil and why humans who profess to believe God still do bad things. (laughs) And it was that, that, you know, though God gave us this good gift when he created us, though he made us with this propensity to have this freedom, to love him, he gave us a, the good gift of freedom to love him greatly. There was that opposite side where we could choose not to and do bad or do bad things with his good gift of freedom. And because we do we have used our good gift in very bad ways and continue to do so um this this you know this didn't catch God off guard um he had the plan all along, which was his son uh that he himself knew that since people were the problem- were you know you gonna use this gift for things that weren't good, there had to be a solution to that, and it wasn't gonna be found in the people who were doing the bad things. <laughs> had to come from outside them and it's funny because humans seem to have that understanding of their need for something outside themselves um, and c s Lewis noticed this with the great hero stories of uh, humanity the myths they all seem we all seem to have a myth of somebody from outside of us that helps us um so we have that one great truth that we keep telling uh, and I believe that that comes actually from God that his plan all along was to be the savior and to provide us that answer to our evil. Because when we don't do things that are good, what does that mean? Well, what does evil do in the world? It destroys things. So when you think about, it's not the way we're supposed to live. And so when you think about that, the destructive quality, the Bible actually tells us what its end is. It says the wages of sin is death. And people just take that Romans 6, 23 passage and they're like, oh yeah, that's a Christian statement. No, it means that we're destroying things. Uh, And the ultimate destruction is the very destruction like of life itself. So what, what's God's, when I've said he had a plan for this, what is this all along? It was to redeem his creation. It was to put life back where there were, where we were destroying it, where there's death. And that was Jesus on the cross, uh, and resurrecting from the dead. You have Jesus taking the consequence of sin, the consequence of human evil, of doing the things that destroy creation and then redeeming it, providing the solution to that. And what he did was he brought new creation. He um, p- puts life back there where there's death. And that's the, that's real hope that the world hasn't always been this way, so it doesn't always have to be this way, uh, that there is a real redemption, there's real forgiveness Uh, there's a real turnabout, uh, taking death and turning it into life. Uh, and as you see humans progress through the time that they're looking to live, they're looking for life Uh, and they're trying to extend it in any way possible. And here's Jesus saying, I'm giving it to you. Um, I'm giving you back life where you guys are putting death in its place. It's so beautiful, and it's the only response like that that we have in the world, an actual reversal of the destructive qualities and effects of evil, and that's Jesus's resurrection. So this is real hope for humankind.
0: You said that so well, Mary Jo. Christian hope is not wishful thinking. It is a certain hope, grounded in a historical event the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Mary Jo, for joining us on today's podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope many of our viewers will get a copy of your book, Why I Still Believe, a former atheist reckoning with the bad reputation Christians give a good God. To those of you who are listening on audio platforms such as Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, please consider leaving a review. Um, If you see this post on social media, you can help us spread the word by clicking like and sharing it with your friends. And if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe and click on the bell icon so you're notified when a new video is released. We have some really good material coming up And um, I don't want you to miss it. Thanks so much for watching. I'll see you next time right here on Faith Informed.